Okay, so uh, this is kind of a special edition of the podcast. I'm at Ethan Becker's. I'm not sure if you're going to hear uh, Jim Noka on this one or not. I'm Kyle Versteg. And just throughout the weekend, I'm going to grab people um, that are mutual friends and things and uh, see if we can't get them to say something. Uh, today, first guest, we're sitting around Ethan Becker's uh, kitchen table here. This is uh, Chance Sanders. You've heard about him on the program before. And we were sitting around here talking about knives and stuff and survival. And uh, he, uh, I said, we should be recording this. <laughs> So, well, let's let's continue. All right. Um, so the story with me meeting Jim Noka, yeah. obviously he's the other part of your podcast. We were at a, well, I was at a thing in North Carolina called Practice What You Preach. Right. And it started by a guy named Terrell Hoffman, who is a writer for Tactical Knives, gun writer, knife writer. And very well known for photography. And yes. Stuff. I mean, he's, yes. he's pretty much internationally known. He is. He is the man. And, and he's a very uh, humble guy when it comes to all that stuff. But I was, uh, I was in the Marine Corps at Camp Lejeune, and I uh, kind of just started getting interested in knives other than the K-bars and things that I was issued. And I saw online that there was this group of guys doing some survival training out in the woods in North Carolina. I said, well, maybe I can go to that. And I did. I didn't know anybody. I had no idea what a forum was. Um, I didn't have any cool Internet name and nothing like that. And I just show up at the top of this mountain, and these people look around like, you know, who are you? You know, I'm Batwing 753 or giving me all these weird names. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, Squibby 292. Yeah, I'm like, uh... <laughs> But uh, they they took pity on me and saw that I just you know basically had my issued stuff. Here comes a bunch of people. We're gonna move. So uh, sorry for the interruption there, guys uh, and gals. I'm we're in kind of a public place. You know, there's gonna be people coming around. It's not gonna be the same kind of audio as we've we've traditionally done. So if you hear some interruptions and things, um, please accept my apologies. So. You you didn't you, you didn't know who Squibby nine two two was right right I didn't know what a forum was or anything so I go there and uh, immediately people are I see knives that I didn't recognize and names yeah. of companies that I didn't right. have any clue what they were so yeah but uh, we're doing this little survival fishing kit challenge and it was whoever caught first fish and right. I caught this little brim in a in a in basically a sniper veil that I had. Mm-hmm. In order to uh, make bait of him and get something bigger. Long story short, me and Jim Noka and his son ended up using that fishing, that little brim to catch a big crappie. So his son, I was like, you know, hey, you know, just give him the knife. Uh, there was a knife involved that you won. And uh, so Jim says, well, I mean, I'm going to hook you up, man. So he ends up sending me two fall knives. knives. One is the uh, S1, mm-hmm. and the other one was it actually. A fillet knife. So, on the uh, podcast, I think it was the last podcast, the one before, you guys were talking about fall knife, and right, and uh, it kind of brought that back to memory. I still have those knives, and of course, Jim and I have traded all kinds of stuff back and forth, mm-hmm. it's almost to the point of aggravation, I think, for him because <laughs> I'm always wanting to see some new thing he's gotten or old thing. I don't care what it is, and I'll end up with it somehow or another. Yeah, well, it's it's funny you should say. That you met him at PWYP because that's actually where where I met him. <laughs> yeah, and, and where I met you too. Yeah, and so it, um, if you guys aren't familiar with that, if you go to um, Knife Journal, or not Knife Journal, uh, Knife Forums, which mm-hmm. is 
a forum that uh, Jim Noka started a long time ago. Well, if you go into the outdoor uh, and survival area, uh, you'll see one of the sub-forums of that is PWYP, and it's it's basically a big gathering that uh, you can go to and you know learn some good survival skills. That like Marty, the wilderness. Marty Simon. Yeah, he he was there when I was there. Um, then John you had, McCann has been there. Um, I met. Um, Oh gosh, Doug Ritter there mm-hmm. a couple years back and uh, have, have camped out with him. And the funny thing about it is, you know, I didn't know all this stuff about knives at the time, and I'm hanging out with these people who are very big in the knife industry, and I'm just thinking they're just dudes that I'm camping with. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not till later that I realize, you know, wow, this is you know Ethan Becker, or wow, this is you know Jim Noka, and, and yeah. what it really meant. And they were so laid back and cool and that's that's the one thing about that camp out that if anybody's interested in knives in the knife industry I really recommend it because you get to see these people in their relaxed state where they're talking and if you listen you'll learn yeah and then the other thing is is like you know when I have a I have a test for people and that's that uh, I don't ever really trust anyone until I've spent some time outdoors with them right because you know, you don't really see the person that they are until you see them kind of out and mm-hmm. when they relax their guard a bit. And the, the best way I know is to get somebody into the woods. Well, um, we're going to be kind of all over the place on this discussion. Um, just whatever comes up, we're just sitting around a table um, talking. And uh, one of the things you mentioned was you used your, um, your veil as a... Uh, as a net, mm-hmm. and it's. And earlier we were talking about uh, Mickey Grossman and the Amazon 5000. Well, we fed ourselves with a net. Oh wow! You know, one of the one of the easiest ways that I have ever seen to catch fish um, and to feed yourself is with a net. You know, and and there is there is no. I mean, you can hunt all you want, but if you stick next to a river, uh, in my book, like mm-hmm. it's easy living. In, in, right. in most situations, but if, if you know how to get get the animals in, yeah, I, I agree with you. Net making, and that's one skill that I don't see a lot of people focusing on. But if you think if you have the cordage and the ability to make nets of various sizes, uh, you can catch game with it. You can actually make a twitch up snare that has a net, so you can keep the animal live yeah. until you need to eat them. Mm-hmm. You can use them for fish, obviously. You can make a hammock out of it. You mm-hmm. can make camouflage out of it. You can make a pack out of it yep. to call your stuff around. There's so many things you can do so, with net making that it's really right. I think one of the top survival skills that people need well, to learn. It's, it's really it's kind of a hole in my um, my knowledge base. I know how to carve a netting needle. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tie a net if you, if my life depended on it, and that's. I'm glad we're talking about this because it's a hole that I've been meaning to kind of fill in for a while. I've got a a book that Morris Kahansky put out mm-hmm. specifically on netting, right? Like everything you would ever want to know. It's like a little 16-page pamphlet. So what I need to do is I need to get busy and actually learn that, and this conversation will help me motivate it. So the story with the net, how we used it was. We'd have five guys, and we we you kind of stick to waterways, mm-hmm. or you, you stay near water. And we there was only one time I was ever down there where we where we couldn't camp next to water, and it freaked us out. Oh, wow. 
you know, because uh, we we'd been hiking, hiking, hiking. It'd been like just a terrible day, and just in the middle of jungle, and there wasn't any like there w- weren't any creeks, which is really unusual. You don't you don't see that very much, and so finally we get to the point in the day where we're like, well, we got to stop. You know, we got to make camp. We got to get stuff set up, and um, we'll try to uh, we'll try to go out and find some water. But in the meantime, we got to make camp. So we um, we we made our camp, set our camp up. These are some wind chimes you're hearing now. Never mind those. These are we're actually out on Ethan Becker's porch now in the Smoky Mountains. Um, just ignore that. But so anyway, we or enjoy them. Yeah, or enjoy them. It's <laughs> it's just part of the ambiance, you know, and you know, don't kill us. Um, but we ha- we have this dry camp, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was kind of freaked out about it. I certainly was. But we took a uh, one of those dry bags, you know, those like Sea yep. to Summit dry bags. We just went and scouted, found some water, just a little puddle, and mm-hmm. filled up that dry bag and brought it back to camp, and things got a lot better. Oh, you yeah. know, um, but so you know, when I'm out doing stuff, I tend to try to stick near water. Um, but as far as the the net thing, what we would do is we'd find a place along the shore of the Amazon River or whatever river uh, Tamashaku have been on, and there's a bunch of other ones that I have GPS from, but they're not necessarily named rivers. Mm-hmm. And um, there'd be like a sandbar, and We'd, we'd go to the top, the upstream end of the sandbar. And by sandbar, I mean it's like a beach. Right. you know. So it's like a sand beach in the river. we go to the top end of that, and we had like a 50-foot net. And so we had five guys. And one guy swam all the way out as far as you could with the net. And then you'd space the other guys along the way. And then the, 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 the last guy st- kind of stays near shore with the end of the net. And you just float down, float down the length of that sandbar, then the outside guy swims on in, and you pull up, you know, like 20, 30 pounds of fish. Wow. And it's, it's like no Very effort. Very efficient, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's no effort. I, I, you know, in we'll, we'll go out, um, my next-door neighbor, Mark, and I will go out on, like, a Friday night, and we'll catch a bunch of catfish. But we're out there for, like, four and five hours, and some nights you get skunk. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was never a time where we pulled that sandbar floating net trick where we didn't end up with more fish than we could eat. And that's one of the things that I always see included in survival kits and is generally your small ones, especially your Altoid 10-based survival kits, will have a couple little fish hooks and maybe a couple sinkers. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is something where it's like, okay, if you have that, yes, you have the possibility of catching something. Yeah. But you don't have the probability. I've yeah. lost 10 hooks before just trout fishing mm-hmm. with modern equipment and you know, or didn't catch anything. And some people are like, oh, I can stay fed because I have these three hooks. Yeah. And every time I get any kit that has um, you know, fishing gear in it and stuff, I always supplement it with you know, probably 10 or 15 of the, the Gamakatsu circle hooks. Yeah. Um, I'll throw in you know, various size hooks and sinkers because, as you said, near water... Fishing is a way to stay fed. It's a great way to stay fed, but you need as many lines in the water as you can have, and you need strong hooks. And a small hook will catch a big fish, but yep. not the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I think people uh, kind of tend to it's it's almost like a uh, 
sense of false sense of security. Right. Because a lot of the stuff that we talk about is like, oh, I can do this. I could shoot a, a deer with a, a slingshot bow or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> the chances of you actually being in a situation, and I bow hunt, uh, primitive, both primitive and traditional. I don't use a, a, a compound or anything. But doing it in season, knowing exactly what's going on, is still a very, very hard thing to do. Yeah. So I don't think I'm going to waste my time trying to make a bow out in the woods in order to stay fed. And a lot of times people sell things, uh, arrowheads and different things are kind of gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Because to me it's like the chances of you actually being able to utilize that in the woods is about as good as you find in a working GPS out there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I have stories about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then, you know, like you were saying with the fishing, um, you, you better, you better like, try that out first. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you should go out, and a fishing license, at least in Iowa where I live, is like nothing. Yeah. It's yeah, like so 10, bucks 10 bucks a year. Yeah. And so... You know, I go out every now and again, and I, I fish with my neighbor. But what we do is we'll go out with small hooks and catch a bunch of, like, little sunfish or, mm-hmm. or crappies or whatever, and then chop those up and use big hooks to catch big fish. Yeah. And that's that's a strategy that I used before we got the net. Um, and you don't even need you don't need a rod and reel. You don't need any of that. You can you can make a, a reel to store your line out of a beer bottle. Yep. You know that my, the Cuban. It's it's like a Cuban. Uh, what do they call that? The my wife caught one um, with just a soda can. Yeah. And the line wrapped around and tied to the tab and just throwing hand the hand throwing it. Yeah. Wrapping it back around the can, reeling it back in. Yeah, it, it yeah, works. She's caught fish there's that. a there's a specific um, there's a specific name hand line fishing. Hand line, yes. And that's that's a it's a big uh, Cuban thing. I've seen uh, people all over. South America fishing like that. If you go anywhere where there's any sizable amount of water, you'll see people doing that. Mm-hmm. It actually works. Um, or you can you can do the trick, you know, where you just tie a little line to a, a branch. Or yeah, and yeah. then just let it sit there, and then hopefully. I tell you, another thing you can do is if you know how to make a, a spring pull snare, mm-hmm. you just modify the trigger a little bit to where you hook your line mm-hmm. going out. That way, when they tug it, it'll Execute the action of the spring pole, yep. setting the hook. Yeah, those that. those are pretty cool. I, I haven't ever made one, but I've seen seen it before. So, um, you you do quite a bit of um, survival type instruction and things now, mm-hmm. right? Um, tell us a little about that. Well, um, the biggest thing I have going on right now is I have a DVD called Surviving Civil Unrest. It is a urban uh, kind of an escape and evasion uh, deal. My thought process, and a lot of times people say bugging in, bugging out, this versus that. You're always in one of three places in a disaster. You're away from home and you're trying to get back. You're at home and you need to stay there. Or you're at home and you want to leave. Mm-hmm. So we're always in either one of those three. So this video was covering I'm away from home and I just want to get back home. Okay. And we did it from a point of view. Um, normally you'd say, okay, I go get my my bug out bag or my get home bag out of the car and I go home or I walk here or I do this and we wanted to kind of play it a little harder than that so we eliminated the bug out bag we eliminated the car and said okay what will we do from that situation going forward okay and so we covered that it's about an hour long video and I have people um, and there's certain subjects that other people are more expert in than 
me or they are expert and I'm not, so I brought them into the, the video to talk about that particular segment, being medical or uh, different experiences. I've got a guy there that was at Katrina, uh, post-Katrina with uh, Blackwater. Um, oh, cool. got Kevin Reeve, mm-hmm. the owner of On Point Tactical. He's on there. And um, I've done some classes. I've taught with some of the uh, more recognizable names with wilderness survival. And what I saw is people would come to the class and they would say, well, I live in the suburbs or I live in the city. What should I do? And pretty much invariably, the answer was, well, just move out to the sticks. And that's (laughs) not for everybody. Everybody can't do that. And, yeah, I mean, where we're sitting right now is wonderful, and I'd love to live here, but everybody can't. How are you going to make a living here? Exactly. You know, or even if you live here, people go to the city for various reasons. Yeah. And we never know when something's going to happen. And I thought that was something that really needed to be addressed. And, uh, you know, I thought that a video would help at least get people started in the right direction. Yeah. From that, I've had students come out that have trained with me. Um, I've got a class coming up in Denver uh, probably next month. We haven't set a date for it yet. I've got some people in Texas that want training. And it's, you know, the hardest thing about survival is not learning survival. It's learning who not to teach you survival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. <laughs> I could write a book on, on how to pick the best survival school, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and then there's there's always there's always going to a school, which, which um, kind of helped. I've been to a few, but before I ever went to any of that, I was out doing it and then the the schools kind of help you know kind of refined it's it's like before i went to the bark river grind and um before i ever went there i tried to make some stuff on my own right and then when when i, when I went up there i learned so much more because i i was figuring out why it is they do things certain ways mm-hmm. and i i'd encounter the problems before i necessarily had a great solution to them and then yeah. And you see what they're doing, and you're like, oh, and it's well, that's, so simple, and it's yeah, that's why they're doing it. And so I, I was a Boy Scout, and I, I have, I grew up like where we are right now. Mm-hmm. This is the setting I grew up in. Oh, awesome! Not here, but yes. this type of a thing in Iowa. So, you know, I had a lot of woods time and a lot of experience, but I didn't have the, I didn't have necessarily formal training, yeah. and so I sought some of that. I've, I've been with. Some of the some of the guys that you would put on right. the list of these guys know what they're doing, you know, yeah. and and um, and I thought of something the other day. It was kind of funny. Um, survival instructors are guys that are making money teaching rich people how to live like poor people in the woods. There, there you go. <laughs> well, that's that's right. And if you look at the, if you look um, at least at, at the courses that I've been to, it's been people that like had some means behind them. Oh yeah. You know, that yeah. that could uh that that you know weren't weren't necessarily by any stretch poor. And sur- survival schools um and the instructors is really jumped up in the past I'd say five years. Um and there is no there's no real requirements for it. And we've kind of brushed on this different times about either forming a guild or forming some type of an association because and, and I'm not saying this to, you know, this is a part-time thing for me. I have a real job. I'm yeah. not making tons of money off this or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and there are those who do. There are those who, who do quite well with it. Um, but you have a responsibility to your students to 
not teach them things that are going to get them killed. Mm-hmm. You also have a responsibility that while they're at your class, you take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you provide the basic need, you know, medical attention and things like that. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. became a big discussion uh, recently online uh, about having uh, insurance and, and things of that nature. And I'm not saying that that's bad or, or uh, not necessary, but, you know, you got some guys that, you know, start off training people in their backyard. Almost everybody I know that's in this industry started off that way. Yeah. And, you know, you got to start somewhere. So I'm not a, I'm not saying, you know, yay or nay on that deal, but you need to, you need to make sure at least that you're passing on knowledge that you've tested. Yeah. And it doesn't keep get repeated over and over and over because somebody said it on the internet or somebody wrote it in an army manual back in you know, yeah. 1950 something. Well, I have a, I have a, and and the other thing you got to realize if you're going to seek out training or if you're going to be, if you're going to try to fashion yourself as a survival instructor is that there are different environments, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know if you want to learn desert, don't, you know, the the skills kind of transfer a little bit, but there are some different different requirements in desert and mm-hmm. different things work in desert that you know aren't going to work in jungle as well. Yeah. You know, so what I tried to do was for different environments go through and pick um, the people who were probably the most respected in the industry and and try to get some training for them. The funny thing is I've I've spent quite a bit of time in the desert um, in the military mm. and I still would not teach a desert survival class it's hardcore yeah it's yeah. not something that's somebody you need somebody that lives in that environment um obviously uh cody lindine comes to mind uh there's uh tony nestor yeah I definitely recommend uh, tony one nestor. one that i would put on that list high 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 on that list if not the top would be boulder outdoor survival school really they are awesome i mean it is i've heard different things about them i know it's kind of a hardcore um, yeah, that's, type of, that's you know, the only hump, thing hump I, I didn't like about type it was no food. <laughs> yeah, and it was... Plan on losing 10 pounds. What's funny about that, and there's two different schools of thought. There's people that think you can learn better um, in an adverse conditions, and other people that think you learn better uh, by instruction. And one of those guys is Madison Parker, and he is a, a former Navy SEAL from Vietnam era, uh-huh. and he still train seals to this day um down in mariana florida and my wife and i and a good buddy of ours went down and took his class mm-hmm. and we stayed in his he's got a quonset hut on the river and um and it was you know get plenty of sleep eat all you want to you're here to learn a skill set yeah and so i think there's a point in time where you need to be uncomfortable but it's after you've gained some knowledge right because you know well and this is this is the whole this this you know i'm i'm kind of looking at how i would run things if i was doing it mm-hmm. um i've been through the i've been through both kinds of schools i've been through the starve and just get beat up for a week schools and i've been through the um you know have a have a good meal three times a day i much prefer the good meal three times right. a day right. school um i'll put it this way they fed me three times a day in boot camp yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and there's a reason. They know what they're doing, you know. But there is something to be said about the about getting shocked into things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think if I was going to do it, I'd try to I'd try to 
have like a, a combo thing. And I think the thing that Boulder Outdoor Survival School did right was they um, the first night you walked, 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 walked. As soon as it got dark, they said, okay, well, here's where you're going to sleep. And you're like, uh, and there's no blanket, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And it gets cold in the desert. Yeah. You know, so you kind of had to figure out. I, I kind of knew from growing up in the cold, I just crawled under a bush and, and got a bunch of crap around me. Right. But the idea was you were supposed to, like, get over your, like, um, manly fear of cuddling. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, spooning. Right. But that... But spooning that is a Marine's friend in right. cold weather. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't happen for me, but... Apparently that was the lesson I was supposed to get out of that. But I think, I think if I was gonna if I was gonna do a course where there was a shock portion, I'd do it where you have a shock portion for like 24 hours, mm-hmm. and then it gets easy. Then yeah. you say, well, here's here's all the things that you experienced in the first 24 hours, yeah. and here's what you could have done differently than what you did. Yeah. You know, so you teach because it's like when I. Um, it's one of the reasons I started fiddling around with knives before I went to the Bark River thing. It's like, you, for me, I learn a lot more when I realize what I don't know. Right. You know, than, rather than just having somebody, like, just hand it to me, you know. And, so. and I've seen different ones. Um, there's been people show up to camp that have just purchased, you know, almost like $1,000 worth of gear, only to realize they didn't like any of it because they didn't know what was good and what wasn't. They, yeah. They, you know, learned from the Internet or whatever. Yeah. And... Uh, knives is a big one. It's funny you mention that because I've seen, you know, all different kinds of choices in knives, and it's not until people start using them, and even even guys that have done all kind of other classes, and they get there, and I start looking at their knives, and I'm like, guys, you've got to spend some money, at least to the point of getting a decent knife. I'm not saying you got to have a $300 knife, but you at least have to understand what the principles of cutting because this is your tool. The gun is awesome, but this is your survival tool. And once they went through the class and I have a you know decent box full of good knives of various makes and models yeah. that I let them play with and, and utilize, I'll, I'll make them use theirs first for a given task, yeah. and then I'll hand them a good knife. And they see the difference, and I said, now think about if you're having to carve 30 trap triggers, mm-hmm. think about how my knife that I'm showing you whichever one it is, not my personal one that I make or that Mission makes, but Mm -hmm. any good knife, the difference it makes as far as fatigue and danger, you know, and and slipping and and cutting their own stuff, and it makes a big difference. Their eyes get open. They're like, man, I really need to get a good knife. So I I think that's important. Yeah, and with the the whole knife thing, the the only reason I'm piddling around with making them at all is because because of that. You know, making uh, purpose, um, purpose-made and uh, experience-designed mm-hmm. knives. You know, because you, you really, if you put a, if you put some thought into the knife making, and you you worry and you think about the ergonomic handle, and you study the hand and how it works, and you know, you you can make a lot of those things a lot easier and a lot more fun, yeah. <laughs> you know. And you were talking in, in a previous podcast about uh, palm swell and, and the different handle contours and what, you know, makes it feel good in your hand and not getting the pinch effect. And one of the things I thought of, if you have a knife that's not designed that way, get you some tape, get you some athletic tape yeah. or something and wrap around in the middle a few times. If it's not there now, get it that way. Um, at least until you get a better knife, because and once you feel it, you'll probably 
decide, hey, at least I want something that kind of mimics this. But, yeah. You know, we're, we're all about, there's another form of custom knife that a lot of people don't think about, and that's the modified knife. Mm-hmm. And we see that a lot here. Uh, people getting a certain knife, and they tweak it, you know, way one way or another, the way they want it to suit them. And there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. And uh, if you can't make a knife of your own, at least modify it to suit you. And if something happens with it, other than the blade itself, you could probably fix it. Yeah. Once you kind of learn to modify it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the whole urban survival thing, I'm a... I, I lived in cities, mm-hmm. you know. I grew up in the country, but then I lived in uh, Chicago for four years and Kansas City for five years and, and Louisville, Louisville for two. But I, I can't say that if there was civil unrest that I'd know what to do other than avoid uh, big crowds of people, you know. It, it's, and it's, you want to avoid crowds of people it's a way more about planning and and what i learned is i took the the military concepts of planning mission planning Mm -hmm. which is um you know your orientation Mm -hmm. where are you at situation what's going on Mm -hmm. mission your mission is to get home execution how are you going to execute that plan going from point a to point b where are you going to get your water where are you going to get your food where are you going to get your guns um Execution, administration, logistics, that can be. Administration is, uh, do I have these plans at home so my significant other can look and say, okay, he's doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the admin stuff, do I have the appropriate documents on me? Are they stored on a uh, an iron key or some type of a thumb drive? Yeah. You know, all those little not-so-sexy things, but they're important. Um, and then you have uh, logistics, you know, Putting out caches. One of the things I tell people is if you have a storage unit uh, and you can spare some space, turn half of that thing into a big enough place to store some food, some water, a cot, wool blanket, and an extra gun, and you've got a built-in safe house. Yeah. If you've got to go spend three or four nights there, who's going to come looking through storage units for people? Yeah. And most storage units that I've seen have 24-hour access via your card that allows you in there to begin with. Uh-huh. Um, I take one of those little camping toilets yeah. that you can get at Walmart, put it in there, and uh, you can live there for a few days. Yeah. You know, and the apocalypse doesn't have to happen worldwide. If it, it can be happening on your block, yeah, and it's still the apocalypse to you. Yeah. And or Oklahoma, for example. Yeah. You know, people I was get there. wrapped around the handle about global this or that and it doesn't have to be it just has to affect you yeah living in a storage unit that's done <laughs> yeah yeah people do that yeah uh richard christie from the howard stern show did that oh wow yeah in florida he, he's yeah he's actually uh he's from kansas and uh he's he's actually a fairly famous drummer huh. way before he was a uh writer or producers whatever anyway i digress well in the the final portion of that that mission planning uh that you know learned from the military is command and signal yeah and um command can mean in the military it means something different but essentially who's going to be in charge is kind of a you know if something happens call this friend and this friend and this friend they're going to come get me but you Mm -hmm. have to be willing to do the same for them Mm -hmm. and in order to not be the lone wolf, you need to have a network of friends. Yeah. One of the things that Kevin uh, Reeve points out in his class is that um, you know training trumps gear, and friends trump training. 
Yeah. Because if I can convince someone to give me a ride through either they're my friend, they're part of my network, or through social engineering, I can get a ride to safety, that's much better than me stealing a car. Yeah. I know how to steal a car, (laughs) you know, and it's one of the things that I, I teach people, but if I don't have to resort to that, it's all the better. Yeah. If I can convince someone to let me stay on their couch versus sleeping outside, yeah, all the better. Yeah. So a lot of what we uh, talk about is uh, social engineering, and a lot of the, the concept came from... Uh, College kids? Well, yeah, that... Um, <laughs> uh, probably the best uh, literature I've seen on it is a guy named Kevin Mitnick, who was... Uh, one of the most famous hackers yeah, in U.S. Mitnick. history. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he's he got several books out now, and his is much more elaborate than what we're talking about, and mostly in order to hack something. But, yeah. you know, just uh, the easiest movie reference I guess I could come up with is the Bourne identity. You know, you can mm-hmm. throw a bunch of money at a girl and say, hey, can you give me a ride? Yeah. Um, maybe if you don't have money, you can, you know, convince them in other means. Um, one of the things I have my students do in the evasion portion is, they have to convince someone to let them use their phone to call me. Okay. And I have everybody's phone number, all of my students' phone numbers stored. Yeah. So I'll know, you know, whether it's them calling or not. And I've heard everything from, hey, Mom, I'm just calling you on your birthday. And they'll come up with whatever excuse to yeah. get that person to let them use their phone. But it's just a little exercise in social engineering. You know, can you, yeah. can you change your personality to suit the situation? Yeah. You know, if you're one of these quiet guys that's – all stoic and everything and hardcore, you've got people to learn how to get friendly. Yeah, people don't react well to that. No, they don't. You know, it's, it's funny. We were we were just at Sloan's. This is Okay, so I've done, I've had two really embarrassing moments so far on this camp out, and there's going to be a lot more. The first was Ethan's got this big, huge black pelt draped over his, his the, big the back of his couch. <laughs> and I look at it. And I'm thinking, that can't be a bear because it's not big enough. You right. Because the bears up north are bigger. Mm-hmm. And I go, geez, it could be a wolf. There are black wolves. I've seen them before. And I go, Jesus Christ, this is a really big wolf. <laughs> and they're like, you dumbass, it's a bear. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's a small bear then. <laughs> and so that happened. And then we went to Sloan's. And uh, we were in there. And like half a dozen people came up to me and and were like, "Hey, where are you from? I know you." And all this, oh, and I'm wow. like, "Oh yeah, I'm from Iowa." And they're like, "Really? I could just tell you weren't from around here." Yeah. And all this, yeah. you know. So like, you know, if you're the if you have a a friendly face, if you put on a friendly face in public and not, you know, this this is one of the things I I don't necessarily understand about the whole tactical gear thing mm-hmm. and the whole um. You know, like wearing skulls everywhere and being all like tatted right. up with sleeves is, you know, it's it, very intimidating. Right. It sends, and I understand the need for that sometimes, but it 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 can also work as a double-edged sword. Yeah. People aren't going to hassle you, but they aren't going to like help you either a lot of times. Yeah. And it's uh, you just have to be able to learn how to to blend. And people talk about the gray man concept. Uh, and most of the time it's in reference to don't wear camouflage and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And, and that has its merit in certain places. Um, but this whole notion of the first guy in camouflage is the first guy that's going to get shot, there'd be a lot of dead homeless people around. Because yeah. everyone I've ever seen had a you know military, <laughs> an, yeah. old, an old school field jacket on. Yeah. But, uh, you know, your ability to change 
um, and and talk to people at their level and find some sort of common ground. Um, for me, it's not that hard because I was actually homeless for about six months oh, wow. you know, prior to joining the Marine Corps. I got yeah. dropped off in a, uh, in Missouri. I was on a road trip with these guys I barely knew, and uh, they kind of just left me there, and no wallet, no ID, no nothing. Oh, man. And so uh, I was there by my wits, and uh, at the end of about three months of that six-month period, I had a car to drive, a new ID, <laughs> and a job, and a place to live. That's cool. So when people people want some sort of, you know, real-world experience when you, when you produce something, and, and rightly so, they're paying money for it and you're passing on information um some of the stuff is from the military and some of it is from my own personal experience yeah with uh, being in that situation and yeah uh, thankfully i never i never broke any laws and did anything that i was ashamed of so yeah you're you're in the minority yeah yeah <laughs> and that, and that's that a lot of it going around like, me but uh i had some good raising and uh i knew right from wrong and yeah i, I just wasn't gonna cross those lines right well um yeah, I'd, I'd say it's definitely a different take on, and it's definitely a hole in the survival thing because you know everybody says, you know, I'm gonna get my knife and my gun, I'm gonna go up in the woods. And I'm like, yeah, every every other asshole's gonna be up there too, and you're gonna shoot all the deer, <laughs> then you're gonna shoot each other, and then you're gonna go back into town. And by the time you're back in town, I'm gonna have my network set up, and yeah, we're gonna be running stuff, and you'll be begging for my can of beans. Well, and that's the thing, if we have time. You don't know when uh, an event's going to happen, but we've been talking for, for years now about this sort of stuff. And if you're still looking at your cabinets and you've got less than a week's worth of food and uh, you have no means of defending yourself and you have no means of, of just basic preparedness, um, you know, it's your own fault. There's there's absolutely no reason. you know. And I'm not saying that you got to go to the local you know prepper expo and buy the latest and greatest solar powered, you yeah. know, whatever, but some basic stuff that can allow you to stay home and not have to be out roaming the streets looking for food or water. Right. And there's some situations that, you know, people say, well, I'm never going to bug out. If there's a wildfire coming to yeah, yeah, burn yeah. everybody else's house, guess what, buddy? You're leaving. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, there's, there's, yeah. I hate to even term bug out bag because people have, people have, push it in this concept of I'm grabbing this backpack and like you said disappearing in the woods and never to be heard from again and for me it's the evac bag yeah yeah I need to evacuate the area I'm in right now yeah it may be I need to go 30 miles away get a hotel room so I can get to work the next morning yeah and my family's got somewhere to stay yeah you know you never know what it's going to consist of but yeah the bug out bag has gotten a lot of controversy and that whole concept of you know, like you said, I don't think there's going to be as many people going to the woods because I just, if something major happens to that point, I think there will be a lot of people that won't make it. Yeah. Um, I think there will be a lot of people that will go up and, and starve. Uh, they'll probably make a lot of noise and scare the game away, but it's, uh, people in rural areas tend to have guns too, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't be coming here because yeah, we, yeah, exactly. we actually live here. Yeah. Yep. Well, and then, you know, the other the other thing, uh, one time I was having a conversation with Jim Noka, and I was telling him, yeah, I can. I, I cook, you know, if you give me a bag of rice and some beans, I can feed you forever. And he's like, oh, are you a prepper? I'm like, no. He's like, 
oh, so you're a survivalist. And I'm like, no. He's like, well, where'd you learn to do all that stuff? And I said, well, I grew up in Iowa in the country, and sometimes the power would go off for two weeks. You know, there'd be an ice storm, and there'd be no heat, no power, no nothing, and you still have to function. You still have to live. It's kind of like Mr. Miyagi says in Credit Kid, Father Teach. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, only you know, it's just one of the. It was just a part of life, and this yeah. is this is to a point that Morris Kahansky makes, and that's that. If you go up to a native somewhere and say, uh, "Teach me survival skills," they're going to say, "What?" Because mm-hmm. they don't they don't separate that stuff out as a separate set of skills, yeah. you know. But for the purposes of teaching people, you kind of have to. Well, and I was looking. I, I got some tires on my truck before I took off on this trip, and. Uh, I was up at Jaeger's place, uh, James Jaeger of the Tactical Response, a little while ago, and um, walked outside one morning and my tire was flat. Huh. So I go to change my tire, and the the four piece crappy little jack handle that they gave you with the truck ended up breaking. Oh, so geez. I had to use someone else's. So you know I had to get that fixed and. Um, some of the bigger survival situations that people land in could have been fixed by simple maintenance of their gear. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big thing that people forget about. It's not such a, a big event that happens. It's a bunch of small mistakes Yeah. that can land you in, in that situation that you're not prepared for. And I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to survive right now. I'm going to get the hell out of these mosquitoes because <laughs> yeah. I don't have any bug spray on. So that's uh, uh, an interview with Chance Sanders. There's a lot more to talk about, so I'll probably probably talk to him a little later, but i got to get out of these bugs. <laughs> All right.